Welcome to the Safe and Effective Podcast, a show that dives deep into the world of medical human factors and user experience. I'm your host, Heidi Merzad. Are you passionate about making a difference in the medical field? Curious about the science behind designing usable, safe, and effective medical devices? Look no further. Every episode, we bring you exclusive interviews with experts from industry, academia, and government as they share their insights and experiences in the rapidly evolving world of medical human factors. From case studies to regulatory updates, we've got you covered. Stay ahead of the curve and learn valuable lessons that make a real impact on patient quality of life and user experience. Whether you're an industry expert or a novice looking to expand your knowledge, Safe and Effective, the Medical Human Factors podcast is for you. Join us as we explore the world of human factors and its impact on the medical device industry. Subscribe now on your favorite podcast platform. Stay tuned and remember, be safe and effective. Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for human factors, psychology, and design. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Human Factors Cast. We're recording this episode live on June 22nd, 2023. This is episode 286. I'm your host, Nick Rome. I am joined today by Mr. Barry Kirby. Hello, and it's good to be back after such a long break. It has been a long break, and we're still figuring out how to come back to podcasting. So stick with us. we got a great show for you. We're going to be talking about NVIDIA's generative AI, and even beyond that, some AI applications to NPCs and all that fun stuff. Allows gamers to converse with NPCs, and we'll talk about some more of the applied human factors-y stuff. Later on, we'll be taking some questions from the community, including what you've done in Human Factors and your thoughts on voice agents and voice user interfaces. But first, we have some programming notes. Yes, like Barry said, we took a little unplanned summer hiatus, but we're back. We're back. And uh, I usually do this at the very end of the show. But since we're back for the first time, if you'd like to leave us a review, tell your friends about us or support us on Patreon, we'd appreciate any and all of those. So maybe consider doing that. But Barry, I have to know, what is the latest? What's been going on over at 1202? So at 1202, we were talking about artificial intelligence in hospitals. Kate Preston, friend of the show, she's been on with on this show with us before. And uh, she's doing her PhD around the use of artificial intelligence in hospitals. And we had a really great discussion around, I thought we'd get into the nitty gritty of the tech side of things. But actually, there was a load of, funnily enough, human factors stuff that came up around, around organization and some of the things that are inhibiting the use of or the use of AI that isn't has got nothing to do with the technology itself. So really fascinating live now, and thoroughly recommend you go and have a listen. Thanks for that, Barry. And just one more, I guess, thing here at the top. If you haven't been joining us for our pre and post shows online, we do these live every Thursday. We have a pre-show and a post-show. Tonight's pre-show was especially great because we had one of our lab members, Alex, on with us. And they were bringing up a bunch of great points about the story that we're about to talk about. And so you're missing like half the conversation if you're not sticking with us on our live shows. So come join us on all platforms that you can find us on every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Pacific time. That's what, 10 p.m. your time, UK time? 10 10 p.m. UK time, yes. 
Well, come do that. Anyway, for now, let's go ahead and get into this news story. That's right. This is the part of the show all about Human Factors news. Barry, what is the story this week? So this week, NVIDIA's generative AI lets gamers converse with NPCs. So NVIDIA has revealed Avatar Cloud Engine, or ACE, a new technology that allows gamers to have natural conversations with video game non-playable characters, NPCs, and receive appropriate responses. ACE can run both in the cloud and locally using large language models that can be tailored with character backstories and lore, whilst using guardrails to avoid inappropriate conversations. The technology also uses NVIDIA's Reva, a speech recognition and speech-to-text tool, and Omniverse Audio-to-Face to create facial animations that match any speech track. NVIDIA partnered with Convey to build a demo called Kairos, starring a playable character in a dystopian Raymond shop. During the demo, the player has a natural conversation with an NPC named Jin. The dialogue is not perfect, but the idea shows that the players can just speak into their headsets and the NPC will reply appropriately. Though NVIDIA did not announce any games that will use the technology, Stalker 2, Heart of Chernobyl, and Fort Solace will employ Omniverse audio to face. Although the demo's visuals are more compelling than the AI dialogue, ACE is an exciting technology that has many implications for the human factors profession, including game design and development, psychology, and ergonomics. Nick, is this going to be the perfect thing that when we decide to take two weeks off, we'll just take over for everything and do a full podcast NPC styly? Maybe if we instruct it to act as us. Look, so I want to I, I do want to comment on a couple things here. This reporting is by Engadget, and we are working off of two different articles tonight, although it only links to one of them in the show notes. And I want to just level set here. So we have the NVIDIA news, and that's just like a little snippet of some of the things that they're talking about. Engadget did post a follow up article to this about AIs and generative AI in bringing tomorrow's NPCs to life. And this article that is posted has an overview of where it's been, where it's at today, and where it's going. And so I just wanted to contextualize the stuff that we're going to talk about today is through both lenses. We'll be talking about the tech. We'll be talking about potentially how this is done. We'll also be talking about the applications, not only within video games, but beyond video games. So with that context out of the way, this is cool. I'm glad you all wanted to hear about this one. I felt earlier like I had nothing to talk about with this because it's, yes, okay, fine, yes. They're AIs, NPCs, makes sense, great, cool, move on. But that really just opened up a lot of can of worms as some of these often innocuous stories tend to do. And this, to me, the human factors applications of this are immediately apparent when you look at anything involving something like training. It might make training much better, but it also might make it much worse (laughs) in some instances. And it's interesting to explore those, and we will. Uh, But then there's also this risk of creating realistic, but maybe misleading or harmful conversations within the context. And given this idyllic scenario where these guardrails are put in place and everything's fine, you're not going to go off those guardrails, then it's not an issue. But when you start implementing it into, it's the same risk that you have with most generative AI with large language models. I am curious where your thoughts on this one are, Barry. So for me, I think a lot of it is if we scope it. So what are NPCs actually for? They 
they, they add some flavor, some extra filler almost to games. Some of them have a, a more distinct role in making sure that you get the right prompts and things like that. But it's very, it is very mandrolic. It's, they just say what they're meant to say within the game's boundary. And they, they, they fill the space. So to get a bit more realism into the way that they talk, into the way that they engage, that's cool. I think that's going to be, going to be quite decent. But I guess for all transparency, I don't really play games. I've played them in the past, but not the sort of games that have like NPCs and engaging. So I was like, almost a bit like what you said earlier in terms of this is going to be a tough one for me to talk about. But a lot of the work I have done is within the synthetic training space. And I do think there is a lot of value here in that because you have, particularly if you're going to do, say, some work around infantry, infantry training and things like that, where you might interact with the local populace and you might not do something that is entirely structured. So most games have a structure into the way that they're developed. The game designers want you to go down a certain way and do a certain thing. Whereas when you're using these things for synthetic training, you tend to, it tends to be a bit broader. It tends to be, if you want to do something slightly more out of the box with NPCs that would actually be a bit more interactive, it means that you could actually allow that to happen rather than it have to be a structured training session. You could actually say, if somebody decides to go and wander up over a hill and see if you could come around to a target in a different way, using this type of technology, you could do that. You could allow them to do that without having to tap them on the shoulder and say, oh, very well, but could you just go back down the hill because that's where we want you to go. So there's a lot of things there that, you, that I think it could be used for. Do you worry, I guess to, to look at almost not negatives, but considerations would be if you've got these NPCs that are doing a bit more stuff, what does that do for the gameplay planning and development and things like that not being involved in gaming design development i don't really know but it feels like it would almost make the job harder or it's got a potential for making that job harder and then look on a, on a more of a social side i know that we that the younger generations now get criticized for doing less and less face-to-face human interaction because uh, a lot more of is happening along online and a lot of this is happening through games like this when you're doing warfare games and that type of thing you're working together as a team there's a whole lot of people online with headsets and that type of thing if this if the non-player characters are doing a really good job of pretending to be human why do you need to then wait online for all your mates to be online to have a really good gaming experience could all your all of your squad actually just all be npcs and actually them do that really well and so we were actually losing my argument has always been actually as long as you're communicating whether it's online or it's face-to-face it doesn't matter we need to get over ourselves this could actually ruin a lot of that human-to-human interaction, potentially. Anyway, very long. I want to round. Yeah, I, I was, not to get down the rabbit hole already, but I want to comment on that because what if we craft these interactions that are more enjoyable than human interactions? Well, what if, seriously, yeah. In the grand scheme of things, if you've got somebody on your team who's maybe not playing the way that you want to play, maybe they're being a bit disruptive, maybe they're being slightly annoying, or whatever it is you end up having a row with them and like why can't you play the game properly why can't you not taking it seriously as the rest of us or maybe the you've got two or three people in your squad who were uh, play just a different style to you and you find that a bit irritating why do you need to put up with any of that you could craft your own perfect team um that plays the style that you want to say if you want to be the hero they're the ones that they're providing you covering fire all the time and you're the one going up and getting they're basically looking after you or you might style somebody else as the hero type of character or or whatever. Yeah, I think there's lots that on the face of it could be seen as a really good thing. 
but then also it could i think it, there's a potential for it to we do sometimes straight to the negative in, when we're reviewing mm-hmm. ai type stuff but it's so easy to do because i think we everyone gets bought into the hype of oh it's amazing it's going to do everything it's going to solve problem and then we're into uh, human extinction so let me get some of my criticism out of the way and then we can talk about the positives <laughs> so my one of my main criticism here is that we're thinking or at least the articles that we're referencing are thinking primarily from the perspective of the developers. I think there's, and that's where we come in, right? We tend to think about the end user and the interactions that they have with these NPCs. And so I'm thinking that ultimately there has to be some UX person at the end of this or human factors person that is thinking about how a player character is going to approach these NPCs, what the entry point is, and think about all the potential points of entry. And it might be first generation AI NPCs have some sort of pre-scripted thing. Mm -hmm. And then that is where it starts. And then you can go anywhere within the conversation. But the goal of that NPC will be to guide you to do X quest or whatever it is. And so having some consideration about how the user gets to from point A to point Z with all those different conversation points in the middle is going to be an interesting problem to solve. And I just think that when we look at this tech through the lens of these articles, it's mainly focused on, oh, this is going to make a developer's life easier because then they can spend more time crafting the story and the narrative. But what if this doesn't work? What if this competes with the narrative in some way or breaks the narrative? Is it going to be a stronger experience because you can interact with this NPC in a variety of ways? Or is it going to be a weaker experience because it then goes against the narrative that is trying to be told by this story. And so there's going to be some interesting things and maybe it's not for every NPC and it's for some select ones. So that's one of the main criticisms I have about looking at these articles through that lens. There's all the general AI related things. And I'm going to try to stay away from like the doomsday stuff. We already did a whole episode on that. If you want to go listen to it, go listen to it. Many of them. (laughs) But I think this is really interesting for a couple different reasons. So thinking about using technology to to create this naturalistic dialogue between humans and digital agents. That's what I'm going to call them because we're not just talking about NPCs here. We're talking about digital agents when it comes to training exercises or when it comes to, I brought this up during the pre-show, but like chatbots for for companies that if you're trying to troubleshoot a problem, you could have a digital agent that is operating off of some knowledge base. I think it's the same thing here. It's the same concept where you are talking with ultimately what this comes down to is talking with AI in a digital space to accomplish some goal in the form of a video game. That's entertainment and enjoyment. When it comes to using a software and trying to troubleshoot that software and talking with a digital agent, then that's the goal is to fix your problem, whatever you're dealing with there. But then there's also the whole application of healthcare, which Alex brought up earlier in the pre-show. There's all these different applications, but the at the core of it, you're trying to prime this AI agent with a goal and having a naturalistic conversation between you yourself and this digital agent to the point where it is either more fluid than you might have in another setting. So like in the case of an NPC, a video game NPC, it might be stiff because you have this decision tree of like how the NPC reacts to various inputs. Same thing might happen with a chatbot. 
right? You might have some sort of predetermined responses, but this then changes that interaction. And so I'm excited about it. I think there's all these, like I said, we've done many episodes on AI, the dangers of it. There's, I was alluding to it earlier, but what happens when you start having interactions with NPCs or digital agents that are then more enjoyable than interacting with humans? Is that, is it, are we going to prefer that type of interaction? And then because of the nature of the technology that these things are built off, which is large language models, which is how we as humans communicate with each other, which is why if you ask any of the other large language models that are out there and you say, please, and thank you, you're more likely to get better responses because that's what humans do. Yeah. We say, would you please do this? And thank you. And you're likely to get better responses. And so what happens when we start crafting these surreal, more enjoyable experiences and we start to prefer those? And then these large language models, do they then re-ingest that information and reinterpret? I'm getting off on some wild tangents here, but this is just where my mind is at because I think criticisms aside, this is really cool. It can make things really accessible to a lot of different people especially those who encounter some of these, let's say, social anxieties around saying something stupid to somebody or saying the wrong thing. Or I'm sure all of us have ruminated over something that we said in a, in a conversation. Go, Why'd you do that? Why did you do that? And with this, it just doesn't matter because whatever is one little thing. And if it's really important to the story or whatever, I'm sure you could go into the history and say, okay, I never said that. Delete it. And that's another type of interesting piece with all this that is just got my mind racing. I've been going on though, Barry, where are your thoughts with all this? So something you said earlier, which sparked a bit of a brain thing. So I want to take us on a different tangent. Just Okay, oh, no. let's do it. This might go a little way or a long way, but I don't know. Get me off this ledge. <laughs> at, the, at the ergonomics conference this year, we had a presentation that was talking about the differences between HF and UX. Because we say on this show, and we say, I normally say quite a lot, HF, UX, all part of the same thing, all part of the same family. But actually, this presentation that was given by Mark Loughton and supported by Amanda Widdison was highlighted a whole bunch of stuff that UXs do that HF doesn't. And that HF does and UX does. So it had the whole Venn diagram. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because you said earlier about HF and UX being applied to this type of thing and looking at things like edge cases and making it really engaging, going down the story and all this sort of stuff. And I was wondering, is this a really good example of where HF and UX actually do different things? Because this is all driven to engage the user, engage the player at the end, and therefore make it delightful. I quite often talk about the difference between HF and UX being almost like a vase. And the top of the vase is UXers doing things to delight your customer, to delight the person, the user at the end of it. And HF being at the bottom, making sure it's done all properly. It's done It's done to the right safety standards. It's done to the right standards. And it's almost a, a bottom-up approach. But you always end up with a product in the middle. I see from the way you described it earlier as UX is br would be brilliant here at making sure that the road of the MPC absolutely contributes to the delight of the player the delight of the person, who, the user at the end of it. The human factors aspect of it is making sure that the edge cases are looked after, that we don't fall off into some sort of uncanny valley and some sort of dangerous, it's almost looking at the hand, was it handrails they called them, 
making sure that the handrails are there and they're appropriate and we can onboard and offboard people properly. But they are almost, they're two very different aspects of the same thing. And I think, and I'd be interested in your thoughts, is that re- an example of where HF and UX is different but contribute to the same product? I don't think so. I think there's like, from my perspective, there's the Venn diagram exists with this. I don't think the UXers would shun the guardrails at all. I think, in fact, they would embrace those guardrails, but I think they would build upon the research of human factors practitioners. Exactly. So they are taking that those findings and applying them in a real world context mm-hmm. of secondary research is a huge thing that, that UXers do. They, they go out and do research on what exists today and the fundamentals of it, or at least they should, at least that's my opinion of it. And so when they do that, they are looking at what what guardrails have human factors practitioners come up with. And I think because they don't need to do the foundational research of setting up those guardrails, then they can focus on things like perhaps, and maybe this is what you're getting at, right? Where they don't necessarily have to do that research, but that's where the research comes in and that's where they apply it. And then because it's applied, now they can focus on getting us over that second half of making it enjoyable, entertaining. And I think it, I think this would largely depend on the industry. I mean, if we, that's, that's I guess that's almost what I mean. If taken, taken this article in, in its true, in its base meaning at the moment, where we're talking about gaming and we talk about all that, all them bits, you'd still, and I guess you did while shunning my, uh, my definition, you then went on and embraced it. Clearly, I think I'm right. But the, but no, there is definitely some, there's definitely something there about the, about making sure that what the the engagement of it is an enjoyable and the right thing to do, and but also making sure it's, it is built on. Because if the, you say that yes, the HF people would have got it, got it built that foundation already, but in something like this, we're not going to have done that yet. Who's built these handrails at the moment? It's brand new. I would go as I would lay down a gauntlet and say that the guardrails haven't truly been thought of from an, from an HF perspective. I bet they've put in some. Some, I won't call them half-baked, but I bet they're not really thoroughly thought through yet. And that's, I would see as being a really good human factors role right there. For then the UX people to pick up and play with and run with would be, I think, a really cool, not delineation between the two, but showing where the two come together. Yeah. And I think, like I said, I think this largely depends on the industry, right? Because the role of a video game is to create enjoyment. And so that is going to have a very different fundamental purpose than any other app or tool that is meant to do a task for you. And so I think it it differs in this context where that is maybe enumerated more significantly than in other contexts where they are perhaps doing that Venn diagram is more of an overlap, but you're right. Fine. Yes. Yeah. I will concede to that point. <laughs> I want to... Yes. I want to bring up some other stuff here. There's Ghostwriter, which is another technology that Ubisoft is using. And they're using this in some of their some of their tech coming out here. And it's basically the same thing, but for Ubisoft's. And I basically I'm bringing this up because I want to comment on the ability to learn from these things. And so the and this kind of gets at what I was saying earlier about making these enjoyable interactions and maybe perhaps more enjoyable than human interactions. And if these systems can learn what types of things the 
human is approaching these contexts uh, with these digital agents is then they can learn how to better respond to them. For example, in a training scenario, I come up to you, an NPC, Barry, and you say to me, good day, sir. Would you like to do A, B, or C? And I say, I don't want to do any of those things. I would like to do D. And then you have another piece of data that says, my goal when I come to you is to do D. And then you as an NPC can learn over time that you might start offering B, C, and D instead of A, B, and C because no one ever says A. And so then you can start to react to how you convey that information. And I think this is where it gets really interesting is because if this technology is cloud-based, if it's based on large language models, you can update the technology that's behind the scenes and these things get better over time. And so I'm thinking that if you have a scenario where let's say you play a game in 2023 and then you have this technology with AI agents that you interact with and they say one thing, and then you decide to replay the game in 2028, five years later, is it going to be an entirely different game because they're going to be reacting to you in different ways? Are the playthroughs going to be different because they have a new data set? Is it going to be fundamentally a different game or because some of the main story beats are the same, it's going to be it's going to be the same game, just with different dialogue. And will that change your perception of it over time? And do, how does that work for training purposes? Do you evaluate the training efficacy and efficiency of different data sets across each other if they're learning within themselves? Go ahead. I cut you so off. So there would be, I guess, from the gaming perspective, it'd be interesting to see whether you allowed the game to evolve in the way that you describe, which from a gamer's perspective, from a user's perspective, that sounds great because that means that the game would always, it'd always be fresh, wouldn't it? It would always be a new, something to go and engage with all of the time. But then does that mean that the game's manufacturers are going to lose revenue because they're not going to be able to send out like version two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, all that sort of stuff. So what they might end up doing is when, so get, getting the feed, so using the NPC feedback, so I'm always getting asked for option D and that gets fed back to the gate to the manufacturers and that gives them an automated effectively backlog of what the next game needs, the next version of the game needs to look like and what it needs to have in it to, to then almost guaranteed success, which would, so I, so it's all, it's evolutionary, but almost bringing the capitalist element back into it. Yeah. It does make sense for a live service game to have that, right? Like where mm -hmm. the pay, the monthly subscription, those types of games. It's more interesting, I think, when you think about like the games that are static. If they update it, because the whole reason I bring this up is because the NVIDIA stuff is done in the cloud. And so that way it doesn't do processing local to the machine. Can it do both? It can do both. Yes. Okay. So if it's done local to the machine, then it's it could potentially learn over time if you code that in. But the cloud is going to be where it's really interesting because yeah. that's where it, keeps getting fed data, keeps getting updated with the next language model, could switch language models entirely, or could use its own homebrew solution to it all, which is just fascinating. It's all fascinating because then it that would largely dictate, like you could, games would have infinite replayability. And if it's a service game, then the capitalism comes in and people would just and keep playing. Yeah. Just play again. That's all interesting. I think when you look at 
some of these, uh, this sophisticated technology, right? I think there's, I, I can sense a desire to potentially do this for all NPCs. Is that going to be the right approach? In a training scenario, it might be, because then you have all these different elements that could play together. Do other digital agents react to something that another digital agent has said? Is that information known? Is there a radius on that then an NPC over there doesn't know what this NPC said? And are they siloed? And that whole like technology piece is really interesting to me because then that mimics a real life scenario a little bit more. But then talking about these like crafted experiences, would it make more sense in like a video game for nothing to be siloed, but pretend siloed? So that way, the next NPC that you talk to isn't relaying the same information that the first one did. Yeah. That's yeah. so I, in a training scenario, it makes sense to talk to multiple people, get their perspectives on it. I'm thinking about like a training for an eyewitness of some tragedy, right? You go up and you talk to these people about what happened. You try to get the story and this NPC says one thing. And then this other NPC says something similar, but slightly different, but they don't know what the other NPC has said. And so it's up to the person's job to interpret everything. I just think about the connected piece behind the scenes of like the different types of instances that you would need them to be connected versus disconnected. And that's also, it, it would contribute largely to what the end user's goal is in those cases. Yeah, I think there's a whole bunch of stuff around this that I think goes gets deeper and deeper. So if you've got, if you want to create a new training scenario, for example, then the ability to have some basic NPCs with decent AI behaviors, they can walk, talk, interact, and do them sort of things. That means you could fill up a training scenario really quickly with, say, everything from like crowded town center all the way through to to a village or something like that but then you could have almost specialties do you put focus your effort on having like maybe 30 to 100 standard npc ai characters but then you maybe have one or two specialist ones that are key and you then go in you spend a lot of effort developing them to be super good because actually they could maybe lead some of the others as well there's maybe some hierarchical capability at this point which would then get interesting and in how they would organize and make that sort of thing work would you also then use this technology for, so there is now work going on in drones and the use of, so if you've got manned and unmanned aircraft flying alongside each other, you've got unmanned aircraft beside you, would you, you could you use this same AI engagement for you to engage with the, with the drone, for example? So using the same NPC sort of technology, but treating it as going that way and, and having, rather than commanding it, having conversations with it about what it is you would want to do in the same way that you would a, a, a real, a, a real sec second plane type, for example. Yeah. One thing that we're kind of skirting here is decision-making when it comes to like chatbots. And mm. so that's a whole sort of can of worms that we haven't opened yet. And I don't know if we want to open it. Okay, this that, episode. That's probably, that's probably quite deliberately because that's, that's huge. But in, in fact, by the time you get to decision-making, it's not an NPC anymore, is it? It's not really a non-player character in the way that we are loosely defining it, or is it? If you're working with it, when you're if you're make, if you, I mean, in the thing I just described around having hierarchies of NPCs, 
is the specialist skills of the higher NPCs. Actually, they have a, a limited amount of decision making in order to command and control other NPCs or influence other command. Okay, yeah, this episode suddenly got twice as long. Yep. So I want to bring up some social thoughts here. Alex has written into our show notes here several points that I want to bring up. I want to make sure we address them because they're cool points. So the first thing is around these sort of safeguards that we've been bringing up. And what Alex writes, what would be the potential safeguards in place? What would be prioritized? Abusing NPCs is not new or unique. Mods can be added to almost all systems. Think Thomas the Tank Engine, Dragons, and Skyrim. Does this give more player agency to modify or less? Would limitations be in place for how frequently a player can utilize voice to NPC options? So I think that that point alone is really interesting about like the modding community. Could you put in a different large language model? And how does that all go against the end user intent there? And I think there's a lot of room for abuse there. If you jailbreak an NPC to say the things that, the developers or the person making the thing didn't intend for you to do? Can you say a series of chats to it in a training scenario and get it to be broken? That's... <laughs> oh, the fun you could have. It's, you could. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Alex's point about safeguards is really interesting because I'm thinking on it a bit more. How would you... Because sometimes... Safeguards need to be done in a way that nudges you away from bad behavior. If you suddenly come across with big flashing lights and no, you shall not do this, and it's out of character, it's out of thing, it destroys your immersion. And therefore, it destroys either the level of training, whatever, if you're doing training or you're playing a game, it destroys really the immersive relationship you've built with that game. So there's got to be a fair bit of skill there in order for. The NPC to recognize it's come up against, say, an, an edge case where it needs to redirect things. But for that redirection to be done in such a way that it is within the character of that NPC that has been developed, and if each NPC is, has got a different type of character, then that's quite a lot of work. But there's, again, I guess with anything like we do in this domain, in, in particularly the human factors domain, we spend more time in the edge cases because if you get them right, then everything else is just gravy. It just flows really well. But the ability for that to be done right in this is going to be very difficult. Yeah, I think so. We're button up against time here, but I do want to just open some can of worms that we can talk about in the post show. And I really want to talk about the different domains here because we've been focusing on gaming. We've been focusing on training, but there's different other there's other areas in which this could be applied to. So I mentioned the chatbot technology, customer service, that type of thing that can handle some more complex customer interactions that you might get in like a case where... There's a bunch of different variables. You might see something more like that. I can imagine you brought up like the co-pilot situation with a drone. So when you have these simulations, we talked about it in the context of maybe like an emergency response or a, a, wit a witness program. But I think there's there's another piece to this where you have the the flight and space simulations where perhaps you're on a deep space mission. You want to interact with how somebody might react in a certain way. Defense, similar to aerospace, you have a bunch of military simulations, enemy behaviors, all those different things. Let's see here. I'm trying to think. Education, AI and gaming could spill over into education. We had a whole episode about AI teachers. See that conversation for more on that. And we talked about a little bit about healthcare before in the pre-show. So there's a lot of different other applications that we can look at. And I just wanted to 
not limit us. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, fair. No, I think there's, I think almost anywhere that we, you can imagine a computer, a chatbot being involved, then clearly this NPC technology will have a, an ability to enrich, I guess, each sector. So having gone from the beginning of this, where we were like, mm, is this going to be a long and interesting talk? Clearly the usage of this could be quite good. I think there's going to be, there is a broad range of application if we think outside the box a bit more, but there is a lot of human factors and UX influence that is needed to make sure that it's safe, but also really effective. Yeah. It's, Hey, did you just do a safe and effective plug? Oh, inadvertently I did. That was clever. That was clever. Check out safe and effective. I think that's going to be it for this, this story here. We'll wrap up here. We'll talk a little bit more about it in the post show. Thank you to our patrons this week and everyone for selecting our topic. And thank you to our friends over at Engadget for the news story. If you want to follow along, we do post links to all the original articles on our weekly roundups in our blog. You can also join us on Discord for more discussion on these stories and much more. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back to see what's going on in the Human Factors community right after this. Are you tired of boring lectures and textbooks on Human Factors and UX? Well, grab your headphones and get ready for a wild ride with the Human Factors Minute podcast. Each minute is like a mini crash course packed with valuable insights and information on various organizations, conferences, usability methods, theories, models, certifications, tools, and much more. We'll take you on a journey through the fascinating world of human factors, from the ancient history to the latest trends and developments. Listen in as we explore the field and discover new ways to enhance the user experience. From the think aloud protocol to the critical incident technique, focus groups, iterative design, we'll make sure that you're the smartest person in the room. Tune in on the 10th, the 20th, and the last day of every month for a new and interesting tidbit related to human factors. Don't miss out on the Human Factors Minute podcast, your ultimate source for all things human factors. Human Factors Cast brings you the best in human factors news, interviews, conference coverage, and overall fun conversations into each and every episode we produce. But we can't do it without you. The Human Factors Cast Network is 100% listener-supported. All the funds that go into running the show come from our listeners. Our patrons are our priority, and we want to ensure we're giving back to you for supporting us. Pledges start at just $1 per month and include rewards like access to our monthly Q&As with the hosts, personalized professional reviews, and access to the full library of Human Factors Minute, a weekly podcast where the hosts break down unique, obscure, and interesting Human Factors topics in just one minute. Patreon rewards are always evolving, so stop by patreon.com slash humanfactorscast to see what support level may be right for you. Thank you, and remember, it depends. That's right. Huge thank you, as always, to our patrons. We especially want to thank our Human Factors cast, all access patrons, Michelle Tripp and Neil Ganey. Patrons like you truly help the show keep going. And I guess we're going to promote a merch store tonight. So we have that. Hey there, listeners. Do you want to be the coolest kid on the block? Do you want to show off your support for our amazing podcast while also sporting an outfit that would make your crush blush? Do I have news for you? Did you know we have a merch store? Yeah, that's right. We're that cool. If you want to be part of the in crowd, head, head over to our merch store. You can find some of the most stylish designs, including our coveted It Depends shirts. I'm actually wearing a faded version of that now. I like it that much. 
perfect for when people ask you questions you can't answer. We also have merchandise with our show logo on it. So you too can look just like a Human Factor celebrity podcaster. If that's not enough, we got plenty of other cool designs based on Human Factors culture. So why not support the show? Look good doing it. Get yourself some Human Factors cast merch today and show the world how hip and with it you are. Don't be left out in the cold. Be a part of the Cool Kids Club. All right. There's that. I don't know. Are those a waste of time? I don't know. We have merch. Uh, they, they do things for me. You have no idea. They're brilliant. Okay, great. We, we have a merch store. Go check it out. All right. <laughs> It came from. It came from. Yeah, switching gears to something that is less embarrassing than that. Let's talk about it came from. This is where we search all over the internet to bring you topics the community is talking about. If you find any of these answers useful, give us a like wherever you're watching or listening to help other people find this stuff. Likes are as dumb that they work, but they work. All right, let's talk about this first one here. This is by Luella on TikTok. Yeah, we got a TikTok one tonight. Check that out. Difference between HFE and human systems engineering. What about human systems engineering? What is the difference between human factors engineering and human systems engineering? Barry, what are your thoughts on this? For me, potato, potato. I largely think that they're both roughly the same thing. And to put it into context, and I think it largely could be almost a UK, US thing as well, to a certain extent, that there'll be slightly different definitions, such as when we talk about HFI and HSI, so human factors integration, human systems integration, talking about the same thing. So I think they're largely the same, but I'd be interested in your thoughts, Nick. Do you think they're different? Or I've heard them used interchangeably, and I think that's true for a lot of the terms that we say here. I think if you were to break apart some of the differences at like the the very specific levels, human factors engineering might be more broad that can encompass things like products, services, systems, et cetera, where human systems engineering might be more focused on systems. Like that is legitimately the only difference that I can think about when you start to break down those two terms. They're used pretty interchangeably. And just a side note, when I saw your notes here, I read potato, potato. and That's the point. That's okay. Yep, that's the point. All right, let's get into this next one here. What do you or have you done in Human Factors? This is by CloudKill37 from the Human Factors subreddit. As someone interested in Human Factors, what's a typical day for a Human Factors engineer? And what are some common tasks or projects that they work on? How do they collaborate with other professionals in their organization? Barry. Typical day. What is that? So I guess in large handfuls, it's things like early human factors analysis. It's things like doing task analysis to find out what's going on, user engagement, inter interface design type work. There's, there's just, we don't tend to have typical days. And it's one of the reasons I love the job is, yes, in large handfuls, you end up doing some of the same things. So I will do a task analysis on a variety of different jobs. I do throwing out task analysis out there as a basic. It, for me, it's a basic building block of almost every project. Because otherwise, how do you know where, how you're going to change it? But that doesn't. that's not everybody's cup of tea. Not everybody does does it the same way. And then you will generally go through some sort of design development -y, research -y type phase where you'll find out actually what it is you're meant to do and then design something to go and meet them needs. And then you'll do some assessment on it somewhat in, iteratively. And then at some point, hopefully, you might turn and give it to the customer and say, there you go, and run away and go and start the next project. 
But you'd be, probably be doing two, three different projects at once if you've got that sort of stuff on the go. So yeah, that I and then throwing a bit of project management there just for fun and bits and bobs like that. So yeah, I don't have a typical day. It just doesn't exist. But in large handfuls, I guess that's kind of what I do. What about yeah. you, Nick? There is no, the no day is the same. There are elements that are similar and your goal, your overarching goal is to figure out how people do things and to solve some of the problems that they're experiencing. I would say that embodies what we do. And you do that through various methods. And the method that you used yesterday might not be the same method today. Some common things that you get like maybe every day, checking emails, having conversations, and just making decisions. And I would say those are the three common elements that you experience every day on the job. But it's going to be it's going to be different depending on the phase that you are in. It's going to be different depending on the project that you're working on. It's going to be different based on what types of things your end users are experiencing. So I think ultimately no day is the same. How do you collaborate with other professionals on, in, within the organization? Communicate. That, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Because it's either you talk very nicely to them and or you start throwing things over walls and send really tersely worded emails, depending on your relationship with them at any one time, given on any project and how helpful you are all being towards each other. Um, yeah. That is one of the cool things about being human practice, practitioners in this is you will collaborate with other specialists, either HF professionals or wider, because I, we've said it before, but HF does tend to be the glue that holds projects together. Therefore, we do get the opportunity to go and talk to a, a lot of other disciplines will be more siloed than we are yeah it's funny i used to work in a building full of human factors people and i'll tell you that story offline all right let's get into the last one here thoughts on voice agents and voice user interfaces this is by ved nt on the ux research subreddit what do you think about voice assistants like siri and alexa do you use them often and ask creative questions is their output relevant or just for fun I'm working on a thesis project about how human behavior affects communication with voice assistants. I need some perspectives on it. Personally, I find it harder to talk and think than type and think. So, Barry, I brought this one in for some reasons that will become apparent in just a minute, but they have ties to what we talked about during the show tonight. So what are your thoughts on voice assistants? I think they're a nice novelty. For my own perspective, I think they're a nice novelty, but I don't use them anywhere near to the, presumably the extent that what that you could do. I keep forgetting that they're there. Short of switching the lights on and off, and maybe we setting alarms for when you're cooking, and we've got it in, integrated into our doorbell system and stuff like that, and for being able to play music in through speakers and stuff. I I don't engage with them in a creative manner. I don't create, even though I've got some of the apps downloaded to them, to do different bits because I find them difficult because you don't know what you can and can't ask them because you've got no structure around it. It's basically the equivalent of just the uh, the blinking dot on a screen. And you can ask them loads of stuff and some of it they'll know about, some of it they won't. And there's just that, there's also less of a an ease to explore that when ChatGPT first landed and we spent time, oh, what can this do? And then you go back and copy your, the, you, you write a prompt out and then you go and copy that again and fiddle with it in a certain way and then deploy it again. Well, you can't really do that in voice in the same way. And you want to be able to think about stuff and then make it happen, which I don't, again, I don't find Siri and Alexa the ability to engage with it in the same way. I just don't think it works for me. 
so I think it's got potential there, but it's not something I'd want to play with, I don't think. Nick, what about you? I used to use them all the time because of the novelty. And we made a big move a couple of years ago. And in that move, I packed everything away and haven't pulled it out since. And I'm thinking that along the same lines of the conversations that we had tonight, there's some interesting pieces that you can pull from this that would make these things infinitely more useful. What if instead of having a wake word, it was listening to everything that you said? And yeah, sure, there's some privacy concerns, but really everything's listening all the time. So what if instead, here's some examples of how something might actually help, where if you imagine you wrote a prompt behind the scenes that says, listen to the user's words, then interpret them and rephrase them as commands to a voice assistant, right? And you have that middle piece of technology that if you were to say something along the lines of, man, I'm hungry, and the voice assistant comes in and is actually like an assistant and says something, would you like me to order dinner for you? So you're not telling it, Siri or Alexa, order dinner. You're saying, I'm hungry. And it is interpreting the action that you want from what you've said to suggest some potential options. I think this is where that technology is going to be much better over time is when we start to have those interactions. You can also another imagine another scenario where, I don't know, like something keeps happening and you say, I can't believe I keep missing this thing. And the voice assistant will come in and say, got it. I'll set a reminder for you for this in the future so you don't forget it. And that would be extremely useful, right? Like how many times do you say something to yourself or to your significant other or to your children throughout the day that you're like, I wish I had done this differently or something. and then you have that voice assistant coming in. You could have that voice assistant coming in and then patching that with actually truly useful things where, oh, it's dark in here. Turns on the lights. What, like, that's really cool. Yeah. yeah. That's the future. And that's why I brought this up is because when you have that additional layer of large language models that can interpret what you're saying and then relay it as a command, that'll be cool. It will. That'd be quite exciting. That would be. All right. Any other thoughts on that, Barry? Or are we good for one more thing? No, I think we, I guess the last thing is with that is it's almost also having them in the spaces where they can listen. And how do you differentiate between the places where you've got them, where you haven't? So given what I do in my day job, there's lots of places I can't have them. And you walk, if I walk into my office and why is it so dark in here? It's going to remain dark because I'm not allowed a speaker in there. And you've always got to remember where you can and can't engage with them yeah that, that would be an interesting problem <laughs> you become so reliant on on voicing your thoughts that when they don't manifest into actions it's dark in here it's dark in here it's Why really it's dark, dark in here, here. <laughs> anyway yes <laughs> oh right, let's get into this last part of the show it's one more thing it needs no introduction barry it's been three weeks what has been going on with you I've still got my sh my neck and shoulder pain that I've been moaning about for months now. But actually, what I one of the other reasons I've been away last week was I went to a state of in a family bungalow. So I went to see my grandparents' bungalow for the week. And the idea was that I was going to go up and have a working holiday week, so a bit of a change in environment, just to give me a bit of a different feel to what I was doing. And so I'd work in those sort of mornings and early afternoons and then go and spend time with the family, late afternoons, evenings, that type of thing. So get my work stuff done early doors while they're still asleep and then get, get some chill out time in a different environment. It's worked. 
trying to do both at once, but not. I should have really. And what I need to do is to be able to take two weeks off, probably during in the next month or so, next couple of months, and actually take some solid time out. Do not take the laptop. Don't take the uh, the notebooks and and just let the team get on with the stuff. So, as as an experiment about working from somewhere else, it was quite nice. It was quite novel. It did allow me to do some a bit more different sort of free thinking. So that was quite cool. But it's certainly it wasn't a holiday. It was more relaxed. I was more chilled. But it still wasn't a replacement for a good holiday. Yeah, I feel that. I've done that before too, where you just you you work while you're trying to get out and it just doesn't. Yeah. So I have so many different things that I could talk about over the last couple of weeks, but I think I'm going to talk about this very specific thing that I had happen. So the algorithm somehow knows that I have a Dyson vacuum and it somehow knows that my Dyson vacuum had a dead battery and it somehow knows that I have Milwaukee tools. Whoa. Okay. This came together in a perfect confluence because I saw a TikTok video of some guy saying, okay, you might have one of these Dyson vacuums and the battery may have died on it. They sell attachments for it so that you can put your tool, your tool batteries into it. And I did that. And it's brought life into this (laughs) very expensive handheld vacuum that is good for what it is that has been dead. And I've just been holding on to it. And God, it's been dead for a year and a half. And it's just the battery drains like three seconds. But now I can swap out attachments on the battery and do charge it and actually just replace the battery so I can do larger vacuum jobs. It just it's it's something that I didn't know I needed. And then the algorithm found me and it's made my life better in some ways. So that's one thing. But then the algorithm just this week was just nothing but sub submarine and stuff like that. So I just it hits in two different ways. And it's it's just interesting how it works and that's just an observation that's all i'll have to say about that and that's it for today everyone if you like the conversation around ai maybe i'll encourage you to go listen to episode 275 ain't no stopping us now where we talk about the dangers of ai comment wherever you're listening with what you think of the story this week for more in-depth discussion you can always join us on our discord community visit our official website sign up for our newsletter stay up to date with all the latest human factors news like your show you want to support us in some way shape or form there's a couple things you can do one wherever you're at right now you can stop what you're doing leave us a five-star review that helps us out a lot you can tell your friends about us that helps the show grow by a lot you have no idea how much that helps and three if you have the financial means to do you want to support us and keep the show going you can consider supporting us on patreon just a buck gets you in the door access to a bunch of cool stuff as always, links to all of our socials and our website are in the description of this episode. Barry, where can our listeners go and find you if they want to talk about NPC Barry? Hopefully the NPC Barry will be everywhere and be ubiquitous. But anyway, if you're going to talk to me about Batman, I'm over social media, particularly Twitter at Basil.K. Or you can find me engaging with other human factors professionals and like-minded individuals for one-to-one interviews on 1202 The Human Factors Podcast, which is at 1202podcast.com. As for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me on our Discord and across social media at Nick underscore Rome. Thanks again for tuning in to Human Factors Cast. Until next time, it depends. Spacecraft, railway locomotives, nuclear submarines, healthcare, jet aircraft. These are all examples of highly technical systems and organizations and all have one particular thing in common. They all involve humans. 
humans who want to do amazing things and are using technology to achieve them. They all have something else in common. They have amazing people ensuring that the users who are involved can do what they need to do, are safe when they do so, and have the optimum user experience. These people are Human Factors practitioners, and on 1202 The Human Factors Podcast, they talk to me, Barry Kirby, about what they do, sharing their career paths, highlighting their ideas and best practices, and fundamentally raising awareness of our discipline. Find us on 1202podcast.com, on social media, and on your favourite podcast directory, because it's more than just common sense.